Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 326 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It's now November. As we record this, it was a long night. The Braves had moments of high highs and then very, very low lows. And in the end, the series is going back to Houston with the Braves leading 3-2. to two. Uh, I am joined on this, uh, I guess, less than celebratory evening by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And man, I, I really thought after that first inning, we might be on our way. And the good news is, big picture, the Braves have two games left. They have to win one out of those two games and they're World Series champions. But to lose this game after the way it started is is just a backbreaker. And let's just hope they can pick up the pieces and, and find a way to win one more because tonight's loss was was very frustrating and, and uh, yeah, just tough to watch as a fan. It certainly was, you know, if you were to lay out uh... – a brutal circumstance. This is one of the options, you know, maybe it would have been worse to lose a lead late um, rather than early, but to have the euphoria of the explosion that was the first inning and then have it basically go the other way as sharply as possible. The Astros dominated the rest of the night. Uh, Kind of uh, not, not a whole lot of fun at the office Uh, on the bright side. uh, I guess the trends, if you want to get into that, the, the last team to clinch the world series and their home ballpark was back in 2013, kind of a weird stat, but the Red Sox were the last team to win their win the World Series at home. So if the Braves do it, that streak will now, will now continue. They, they had a chance to break that streak tonight, but uh, now if they win, the uh, no longer winning in the home uh, in the home ballpark will continue. So we'll get into everything from the Duvall Grand Slam to the Freddie Freeman home run to uh, the handling of Tucker Davidson to AJ Minter's less than stellar performance. Drew Smiley, uh, Brian Snicker talk, um, less positive, I'll say, as a spoiler alert for, for this podcast. Uh, we've been pretty high uh, on Snit in yeah. the playoffs, not tonight necessarily. Um, but we'll start at the beginning, as we as we always do. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said it, though, before we dive in. I'm glad you said this, like, we'll kind of reemphasize this, but the Braves are still favorites in this series. It may This is obviously a brutal night, but they now have to win one of two. And even if you think pessimistically of the Braves and give them a 40% chance to win each of the next two games, if you combine the odds, they're still favored to win the series. So, And frankly, if you would have told us that going into this series, that after five games, the Braves are going to be ahead 3-2, I you, think. You got to take it, man. You <laughs> take it. It's I mean, as, it as amazing it, as it would have been to see this team clinch on their home field and send the battery into it, just an absolute frenzy. Um, now, the Astros are a good team, and they've, they've strung together some hits in this series, and their bullpen, for the most part, has been strong. Um, but you're right. I mean, obviously tonight was not good. And I think we're about to jump into the, 
many bad things post first inning. Uh, but if you would have told us a week ago, they'd be up three, two after five, I think you take it. Yeah. We did a good job there of couching, at least providing some positivity. We're going to not bury everything on this podcast. So a good start there, but uh, let's, let us dive in. Uh, I'm going to ask you as we often do on the show to go back a few hours to before the game started and uh, the news that the Braves were going to start Tucker Davidson in this game. Um, Davidson, who we talked about briefly earlier on uh, over the weekend, was added to the roster because of Charlie Morton's injury. Uh, He's only had five career starts in the major leagues. The fun fact that Fox kept using and that I will reference now is that he watched game one of the World Series from a courtyard by Marriott lobby, which is an insane thing to have happen. A guy to be a starter in game five of the World Series and not even be with the team during game one. Obviously, the start was fine. The first inning, I don't think he looked incredible, but he got three outs and three batters with uh, with a, uh, a hat tip to a double play. Um, but even before that, though, like I guess I just wanted to ask you before we dive in, like what did you think of that maneuver? Because it was sort of what struck me was that it was in contrast to the previous day when it didn't work, but they tried the Dylan Lee opener and then Leland Kyle Wright. And this in this circumstances. It seemed like they just were intent on not doing that again and wanting to give the ball to the long guy right away. And, you know, it started out okay and didn't end okay. So when it was announced today, I was okay with it. Like I wasn't, you know, banging the wall. Like, what are they doing? This is terrible. But last night I thought and and I, I would have started A.J. Minter, especially after he did not pitch yesterday. Um Minter has experience opening games, and I can understand the argument for saving him for the middle or late innings. I, I get it. But because he has some experience with it, and I, I, I know he was not great this evening, but again, you talk about my thoughts before this game started. Right. I would have gone to A.J. Minter and basically said, A.J., you're going to throw until you can't throw anymore. Um, we have seen him cover multiple innings in this series, so he's certainly capable of doing it. Who knows? how differently this game would have played out if AJ made the start again, Tucker was not terrible by any means. I think he was put into a tough situation by uh, his manager, which we will talk about in a little bit, but um, you know, I, I didn't hate it. I'm a fan of Tucker Davidson. I think he has a future at the big league level, uh, but he is not who I would have gone with as my top choice. Even if you, if I didn't think he was a, a terrible choice by any means. We are on the same page. I know uh, Eric said the same thing you just said on last night's podcast, um, you know, less 24 hours ago, talked about how he would have started Minter in this game. So that's not revisionist there either. I, I'm i okay with any number of things that, that they could have done there. I didn't mind him starting. Um, I thought the leash should have been a lot shorter, which we'll get into in a second. But, um, you know, it's a tough spot for him. Obviously, he's not pitched in the major leagues since June, and June is a long time ago. But I want to at least get that out there and get that on the record for how we thought about it. Um, now we'll pivot to... Probably the, I guess, well, I guess only the really the only positive inning of the entire night for the Braves. Um, they score four runs in the first inning. Uh, you know, Solaire rockets a single as he is wont to do. Um, Alex Bregman couldn't scoop it at third base, which kind of got my brain working. Like maybe Houston's just going to melt here. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's one of those like narrative things, but it felt for a second like they might melt. Um, ironically, Freddie Freeman, who's been great, made the only out at the beginning of the game. Uh, he flew out. Um, Ozzy, Ozzy, though, this actually ended up being huge, and I almost forgot about it, to be honest with you. But he beats out a potential double play ball because of a slight bobble by Correa. He was busting down the line, and that would have been the third out of the inning. Um, 
and clearly they lost this game anyway. But if that's the third out, then none of that stuff happens. Um, but from there, Riley singles. Albies does Albies stuff and challenges Jordan Alvarez, who is a terrible left fielder, as discussed m- multiple times so far. Um, pushes all about, you know, they, they walk they walk Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall, podcast hero. We, we love Adam Duvall, uh, at least we have uh, for a long time and kind of have ridden for him and just hits a first pitch out of nowhere grand slam to right field. And he knew it right away. I mean, I didn't know it right away, to be honest. I, I'm not, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a double or a fly out or a home run, but if you watch it back, he, he bat flipped, he knew. Like, it was gone right away. And, you know, the pop at Truist, I know people that were there. We were not there, obviously, because I'm recording this podcast. But uh, I know a lot of people that were there on this evening, and uh, the pop was legendary, apparently, for that moment. And if you saw mm-hmm. the replay, you can kind of tell, even even through the TV and all the alternate angles, like, just how nuts that moment was. And I don't want to breeze past it too quickly because that was uh, a lot of fun in the moment. It felt like it was a moment that we would remember and talk about for years to come. And we may still do it. You're right. It was an incredible moment, a first inning grand slam in the World Series on a night when you can clinch. Uh, it was crazy. And it's it's good to see Adam Duvall get going a little bit here. Uh, he is, he's been okay in this series. He hasn't been tremendous, but he hasn't been a black hole. Um, but yeah, for him to hit that grand slam there, first pitch on a guy who was not throwing a, a ton of strikes, he jumped all over it. Um, and yeah, man, for nothing, it, it really did feel like we were on our way and it was a, as good of a start as you could have possibly hoped for. But unfortunately, as we know, for the most part, that was uh, kind of the beginning of the end, which is crazy to think. And when you're up for nothing that early. Yeah. You know, uh, craziness. I mean, you mentioned the first inning aspect, the first time anyone in a world series game has hit a grand slam in the first inning since 1960. Uh, it's a long time. Only the second grand slam in Braves world series history. Uh, a familiar name, Lonnie Smith is the only one that actually hit a grand slam in the, uh, in the world series for the Braves, which is, uh, I know Lonnie's a bad name usually in, in everybody's memories, but that was one that happened night too. So anyway, you know, highs of highs and all that stuff. And, you know, honestly with, with haste, it started to slip away. So it wasn't like they held this lead for three, four innings of four runs and it was kind of just cruise control. And then they hit, they hit a hiccup. It was kind of right away. Um, in the second inning, Davidson enters trouble pretty quickly with a single and a walk allowed with with one out. Um, I, I kind of tweeted this in real time to hold myself accountable. I was surprised no one was throwing in the bullpen before he pitched Alex Bregman, who was the fourth batter of the inning. Um, that, that's before a run had scored. I was surprised then because of, you know, this is a playoff game. It's a guy who hasn't pitched in four months, basically, and he's out there without uh, without a harness, basically, at that point in time. And I thought it was absolutely crazy after Bregman doubled to right center, his best swing of the series probably. He had been terrible, actually dropped in the lineup um, before this game. But I thought it was actually just kind of nuts that he that no one was up after that. I couldn't believe that Davidson was still pitching after he had just allowed single walk yeah. double um, in a World Series game. I just was baffled by that. Yeah, it man, it felt like it just kind of took all the, the air out of the stadium, didn't it? I mean, did you get that vibe? I, I the shutdown inning thing, I never know. I mean, sure, you of course you want to score this inning after you score some runs. I mean, naturally, but it did it for as much as uh, you know, as, as much positive energy was flowing after that first inning, and everyone was feeling really good, and the dugout was loose and alive. Just so quickly, you're right. I mean, you you give up that double to Bregman, um, and then Martin Maldonado, who 
has become a villain suddenly, even though he is not a very good hitting catcher historically. Uh, you know, he hits that deep sack fly to center field, and then your, your lead is cut in half. And uh, thankfully, they they get out of it. It's still 4-2. You're still up two runs, and you'll take that. But um, it was. It was just a real buzzkill is really how it was. And I was surprised, too, that they – I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if they left uh, – if they only let Davidson handle the first inning and then just basically go inning by inning from there. I was surprised he was out there and and – you know, after Bregman's double, I'm surprised that he continued to be out there. And, and of course, he continued into the third inning. And that's kind of, for me, where the, the wheel started to fall off. I mean, the fact that they had no one throwing was an indication. And, you know, I, I we talked about it a little bit, um, I think, on Twitter. Maybe even wrote about it on the site. But Snit pregame kind of kind of alluded to the fact that it wasn't going to be an opener. Like he was going to, the way he was talking, it was not like he was throwing him for an inning. It was, we're going to let Tucker go until he, until he can't go anymore, which I get it. Cause he's, a, he's stretched out as a starter, but at the same time, you know, we talk about it all the time, but you have to have a short leash in the, in the world series yeah. for a guy who's not an established. <laughs> he's it's made not four starts. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's, there's not Max Scherzer or Jacob deGrom. Like you have to, Oh, that, that frustrates me to know that he went into the game not having an immediate plan. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I mean, he didn't, he didn't fly out say that, but like every indication Snicker gave was that, you know, he was going to be treated as a starter and not as an opener in this game. Mm. So whatever you want to make of that, um, which is kind of what I, I mentioned earlier, like it was in direct contrast to yesterday. And again, you know, I know it didn't work with Dylan Lee, but the synergy of that were like one day you against the same team, you're thinking we're going to use an opener and that makes us, that gives us the best chance to win. And then the next day, it's the exact opposite of that. Um, I don't really understand the logic there. I'm not even sure where I fall on which one is better, but I just I don't really understand the synergy. Anyway, um, so Maldonado, we'll come back to him later on. My gosh. Uh, people wanted to walk him, which I thought was nuts in the second inning because uh, Maldonado was bad. And also, like, it was a situation where, where you would do that. Um, Val, you know, Valdez hit for himself, which was actually, I thought was a gift, like, we didn't know he was going to be as bad as he kind of was in this game. I, you know, I thought he was pretty terrible, honestly. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe he hit for himself, to be honest, because it was a, kind of the same thing. I, you know, the Astros are shorthanded too. Like that's an underplayed story. I feel like all the attention's been on the Braves not having starters, but the Astros kind of don't have any pitching either right now. Um, and maybe that's why Dusty didn't let him hit for himself. But that was probably a gift, to be honest. And Davidson, I want to at least mention this. Uh, in the second inning because of the fact that he came back out in the third, which is, whew, uh, he basically bailed on his fastball. I, I will give a hat tip to Carlos Colazzo, former co-host of this podcast, for pointing that out to me originally, and then I was tracking it from there. He threw three fastballs out of 21 pitches in the second inning. Davidson just wow. kind of bailed on his fastball. Like, he couldn't. Yeah. And that was, uh, for me, a dead giveaway that he was not trusting his trusting his stuff in that in that spot. And that was scary. And given that he had clearly not pitched well in the inning, like flat out had not pitched well, and then you come out in the bottom of the second and he hits for himself. And there was a brief moment where I thought maybe Snitz just being really conservative because and just want to waste a pinch hitter here. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you could have done what Houston did and hit Max Fried if you were going to do that. Um, you know, Max Fried is maybe not Zach Granke, but close in terms of like a good hitting pitcher. Uh and clearly that was not the plan because he gave Davidson the ball again in the third inning. So none of this is revisionist. As always, if you're a new listener, we kind of talk about the stuff in real time, but also make notes and that's why I hold myself accountable. I just couldn't believe he hit for himself, and I couldn't believe he left him in the game. 
Hmm. I am the same way. I was kind of hoping. Again, I don't want to pile on Tucker Davidson here because no, it's not his fault, man. I mean, it, I mean said, it is and it isn't. You know what I mean? Like he's a professional yeah. baseball player, but uh, it's a tough yeah. spot for him, obviously. Right. He, as you said, he was sitting in a hotel lobby five days ago, not expecting to pitch, and then he's suddenly the game five starter with the chance to clinch. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping that sure, if if you had nobody on base in the bottom of the second and didn't want to burn one of really the four guys who you can pinch hit with, I get it. Like save them. If there were bases loaded, sure, maybe you handle it differently, but I don't believe any base runners were on at that point. So I figured that 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 Tucker was done, and then he comes out for the third. And that's where I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, other than Kyle Wright, the whole bullpen is available. It's not like they played 16 last night and half of your guys are down. Like, what? what's the thought here? Um, <laughs> and then again, it, it just – uh, it was just kind of fallen off the cliff, right? I think uh, the Fangraphs win chart had the Braves at 84.3% after that grand slam in the first inning. And then it just gradually kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And the third inning was really when it started to uh, change once and for all. You alluded to it there, but I, I think as a broad takeaway that we'll also drill into uh, the last Two nights before this, Brian Snicker, candidly on the record, has talked about how he was going to treat these games as individual games and not worry about the next day. And it seemed like he worried about the next day in this game. It seemed like he was pitching, he was using his pitchers to try to eat outs and not use his bullpen in this game. And I don't know if that was out of necessity. You know, it's one of those things that we can't know. So to give him at least a little bit of credit, maybe there was an issue where he didn't, he just really want to stay away from some of these guys physically. Um, aside from that, I, I don't really understand what the plan, what the plan was here. I, and I know, yeah, maybe coming into the night, you would have dreamed about getting four innings from Tucker, from Tucker Davidson, like the way that you did with Kyle Wright last night. But that also, you have to be able to pivot from that. And it's just, that was a theme for me the entire way, because again, Davidson was very clearly not very good in the second inning. Um, and for him to come out there in the third, it just kind of blew my mind. Now, well, and, and not even, you know, we're not sitting here either saying, well, why didn't Tyler Matzik come in the third inning? Like, no, that, that's not I mean, what we're doing. But I think at that point, it was very obvious. Not only was Davidson not particularly sharp, but it was the second time through the lineup for a guy who clearly didn't have a fastball, as you just alluded to. Like, the Astros lineup is very good. It's patient, and they have a lot of veteran hitters. Like, they're going to pick up on those things. Um, that That's, yeah, and and... I guess in, in Davidson's defense, the third inning started off with an error. It was a costly error. Um, so it wasn't if he was just giving up home run after home run and just getting right. pounded. But um, I I was surprised he went back out for the third. I would not have sent him for the third. <laughs> and uh, and as we, as we keep and as we know well, it was uh, it was not a good inning. It did not go well. So again. Even though, with the caveat that Dansby, and by the way, the infield defense, middle, the middle infield defense, which is usually a huge strength of his team, has been terrible. Ozzy can't yeah. throw the ball right yeah. now for some reason. Um, anyway, uh, so yes, a little bit of a hat tip to Davidson for getting a ground ball in that instance. But honestly, Altuve swung at ball four. That was literally ball four. It was not close to the zone. And Altuve is an aggressive guy, to say the least. But it was probably going to be a walk if he didn't swing. Um then he, and then he walked and then he walked Brantley and by the time Davidson left the game after two batters in the third he had thrown this is per, per statcast 
only 33.9% of his pitches were finishing in the strike zone. So basically, he had more strikes than that because guys guys were swinging, but he just was not fighting the plate in this game. It's hard to be successful. You yeah. can't do that. Um, so anyway, they, they take out Davidson at that point. That was pretty much the, the last possible moment to do that. He should have came out well before that. Um, they bring in Justin Chavez, and that, that was fine. I had no issue going to Chavez there. Uh, is he as good as Matic or Minter or whoever? No, he's not, but they kind of trusted him. He's been that like fifth, sixth guy that they kind of trusted. I didn't hate that too, too much. But he gives up a rocket double to Carlos Correa. Got an out against Jordan Alvarez, and then he actually gets a ground ball to Yerli Gurriel. But given what he was left with, that was enough to tie the game. Uh, got out of it from there, despite walking um, Kyle Tucker. <laughs> got bailed out a little bit. Chavez was not very good in that inning. Um, I, I guess it almost felt like, not fortunate, but it could have been worse than 4-4 with the way that that inning mm-hmm. actually unfolded, given the way that Davidson and, and Chavez both pitched. But at the same time, your lead evaporates within, I almost said 10 minutes of real time, which is just not at all true. This is the slowest paced game in the world, the first half of this game. But uh, within two innings, your lead just disappears. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, despite being up 4-0 so early, the fact that it was 4-4 after two and a half, three innings, however you want to look at it, you're like, okay. Like, obviously, you wish, like everyone was dreaming of a low-stress World Series winner, right? Like a game the Braves win 11-2. Uh, wouldn't that be something uh but yeah it's 4-4 it was not great but again it's it, you're not losing at that point and as we'll talk in a moment freddie freeman stopped the bleeding in a big way uh shortly after which was really important it felt big in the moment but again it it, it unfortunately was not too much because after the third inning it was really all astros from that point and um and yeah, it was a uh, <laughs> uh, man. I'm, it's just such a frustrating game. I, I sense I sense the uh, the burden on your voice right now. Uh, you know, clearly everybody knows Freeman had the monster blast in the bottom of the third, um, tied for the longest home run he's ever hit by Statcast, which is nuts. Crushed um, it. Four hundred and sixty feet, just an absolute bomb. This is a personal anecdote. But my brother was at the game with his fiance this evening. And the ball landed five rows right above his head. Like he literally, it went it, it went over his head and landed five rows five rows beyond him. And I told him he he probably should have jumped higher. But um, at any <laughs> stand rate, on your seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever he, whatever he could do to make a play there would have been nice. But no, it was a it was a fun moment in the moment because honestly, again, this is revisionism now, I suppose. But once that happened, it was like, oh, this might be okay. Like, yep. it's four four, and you kind of blew it. It's this big letdown, but. You don't wallow. You don't just like kind of pack it up and let the let things go. Frey does that, and then later in the inning, I mean, they they chase Valdez from the game, and he was getting blasted. Um, and then Duvall has like a twelve. He has a twelve pitch at bat. He's not exactly a guy that I think about like grinding at bats like that. And he really had an awesome at bat, like a six six foul balls. Ends up being a pop out, but like they were still dialed in. Like nobody was packing it in at that point in time. And suddenly you're winning again. It's like okay, this might be fine. Yeah, this isn't so bad, right? You're <laughs> right. I mean, in the moment, I, I think I tweeted or texted you or something, but I I said that felt big. It was a big home run in the moment. To uh, the wind had been out of your sails. It was four nothing. Suddenly it's four four. But then to hit that home run there from team leader team captain whatever you want to call him freddie freeman it did felt it felt big in the moment um and it it did hold for a little while the the, the positivity and the the lead did hold for another inning but um 
Unfortunately for the Braves, that was really the last offensive threat mustering. I don't know what you want to call it, but it was really the last good thing to happen offensively for the team tonight. Yeah, honestly, that's uh, unfortunate, but it's, it's absolutely the truth. Um, all right, well, we'll get into the decision-making from this point forward in a moment because that's really all there is left to talk about because of what you just said. The offense just kind of let them down from that point in time uh, forward. But before we get into all of that, really, really fun topic. <laughs> what And we're from our sponsors on the podcast today. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, the fifth inning, we'll pick up there. Um, and that's with AJ Minter. So Minter did come in in the fourth, actually just completely dominated Michael Brantley for one, for one plate appearance, a three pitch strikeout of a guy who does not get embarrassed like that. And he really kind of embarrassed Michael Brantley. Um, so you, you're feeling good about AJ Minter to be sure at that point in time, um, gives up a league off single to Correa and then another single to Guriel. Um, and then it's after a, a ground ball, it's second and third with two outs for, uh, Bregman, Maldonado, and the pitcher spot. This is one where I saw some numbers guys that did not like this decision. I said it in the moment, and I will still defend this one. Uh, they intentionally walk Alex Bregman to get to Maldonado. As referenced earlier, Maldonado is one of the worst hitting regulars in the league. Uh, he's a great fielder, great catcher, great receiver, all that stuff. He's a bad hitter. Like a, for the season, sub 600 OPS, like that kind of bad hitter. Um, not quite pitcher level, but between pitcher and everybody else kind of level. Um, and Bregman, who has not been great, is still Bregman. He's still a talented guy. I, I didn't mind that with guys on second and third. Also, he brings the force outs into play. Um, so if I'm going to defend one decision, that was probably going to be that one. D- did you mind that decision? Uh, no, I didn't mind it. I mean, as we know, the risk with intentionally walking the bases loaded is that you is what have happened. to throw strikes. <laughs> right, right. The worst case scenario is exactly what proceeded to happen. Um, but no, give me, uh, I'll take Ma- Martin Maldonado over perennial all-star Alex Bregman, 10 times out of 10. It didn't work out. That was one of the decisions I was fine with. I, I get the argument against it. You don't want to voluntarily put guys on base. Um, but as we know, it, it was not a, a good decision in the end. No, it didn't work. Uh, I wanted to at least be fair though, and give my own opinion on that. That was relatively positive. But it was a weird, a weird, weird plate appearance. You know, Maldonado, as Fox showed, and I think did a good job with this, he was standing on top of the plate, basically. Yep. Um, and in a different spot that he normally stands, and, you know, shouts to him. I think it was a wise decision. It worked out very well for him to approach it that way. But it was almost like he, he was ready and eager to take a hit-by-pitch to score a run there if AJ missed once on the inside of the plate. And also, Minter threw, I think, three cutters, maybe maybe even four in that, in that play appearance. He was not throwing his fastball, um, his, his four-seam fastball in that spot. But listen, I mean, you, you just can't do that. Mentor's been awesome. We've praised him a ton. You cannot walk Maldonado with the, I mean, really ever, but especially with the bases loaded in that spot. You, you just can't do it. 
And then, you know, the next one's unlucky, but it's a 71-mile-an-hour bloop single to Marwin Gonzalez, who pinch hits for the pitcher. And within, you know, three minutes, you're, you go from up 5-4 to down 7-5. You never lead again. So it's just kind of brutal, man. I mean, Maldonado, by the way, that was – uh, sorry, not Maldonado. For Gonzalez, that was his first hit since October 3rd, which is four <laughs> weeks ago. It's just just a perfect storm ending. I mean, yeah, self-inflicted yeah. too. The walk, you just can't have that. But the bloop single, you just got to throw your hands in there. You're right. I mean, it was, again, it was kind of shades of game two in that very, very unfortunate inning for Max Fried early on where the Astros weren't hitting anything hard, but everything was just finding open grass. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you talk about frustrating ways to lose a game. Two outs, you do an intentional walk, even if the process was right. Of course, it didn't work. Yeah, Maldonado looked like somebody who was going to stand up there. I mean, literally stand on top of the plate and see if AJ Minter could throw two strikes. And then he would even think about swinging the bat. Like, I'm not sure that Maldonado was going to swing until there were two strikes. Um, and you're right. I mean, it was a good game plan from him. Uh, yeah, that the bloop single from uh, Marvin Gonzalez was brutal. I mean, the walk itself was tough. But then at that point, it's 5 5. But I believe it was a first pitch, too, that just kind of popped over Dansby's head in front of Rosario. Yeah. Then it's seven five. The wheels have completely fallen off. <laughs> it's in. Uh, you're you're just looking up at the sky like man. An hour ago they were up four nothing on a grand slam, and it felt like the Braves were about to win the World Series. Now it's seven five on an intentional walk, a walk, and a bloop two run single uh, to the very bottom of their order. To you know just the cherry on top. Right. Uh, that was <laughs> very frustrating inning. It's a very brutal sequence, and yeah, to go from up 4 nothing to down 7-5 in that spot was brutal. Um, we'll pick up the pace now, and because we, we kind of get into it, but we can talk about the offense the rest of the way, but it basically was just Austin Riley had two more hits and nobody else did anything, essentially. So that's a shorthand for what the offense did the rest of the night, which was nothing. Um, the only other piece of discussion is the decision to go to Drew Smiley in the seventh. Um, down 7-5. I kind of foreshadowed this, unfortunately. Um, this has been a topic on this podcast forever. Uh, we talked about it, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times, that Brian Snicker has a tendency to kind of punt games that are winnable and not use his best relievers. Now, in the regular season, it's a lot more defensible. I don't always love it. We talk about it on the podcast. But in this spot, I kind of saw it coming a mile away, like almost like a car crash. But you're down, you're down two runs with a day off coming on Monday – and even as someone who has defended Drew Smiley a lot on this podcast, I, I do not understand essentially going to a punt in that situation. Uh, and that's what that was. I mean, I know you're, you're still an underdog. You're, you're down two runs. You're supposed to lose at that point, quote unquote, more often than not, you're going to lose the game. But down two with, you know, you have three more bats left. You have nine more outs to make up a two run difference in a, in a game that had a lot of runs going on in the first inning, the first few innings of this game. It's not like you're this like minus one thousand underdog. Oh, sorry, plus one thousand underdog. Like you're in the game. Like you're definitely yep. in there. And uh, Smiley was, I mean, capable of not blowing up. But I just that's one where everybody hated it in the moment, and that included me. I just didn't understand it at all. I mean, I, I would have gone to at, at least try Luke Jackson for an inning and see if the offense can get going. I can see maybe not going to Tyler Matzik. I agree. If it was a two-run game, just because he has thrown 
so many high stress innings. He's the one to try to avoid. I, I agree with you on that a whole yeah. heart. I mean, if, if, if it was me, I'm going, I'm going to Luke in the seventh, give yourself. And honestly, if, even if Luke, Luke pitches two innings, like mm-hmm. you have the day off tomorrow. That's, that, that's the thing that looms over all of this is that if they didn't have the day off tomorrow, it would have been so much more defensible. It really mm-hmm. would have been. I would have understood it a lot more. Um, but I just, it just maybe it sends the wrong message too because you know these guys are not stupid. They know that Drew Smiley's not one of their guys. I mean, he's he's in there. He has a role for sure, and his role. Uh, it's kind of funny. We'll get into it in a second. But once you once he gives up the first run or maybe even the first two runs, like his role at that point is just end the game. Like just stay out there. If they had, if they if, if they had given up. If he'd give up five more runs, he probably would still be pitching right now. Like, end the game. Throw it, throw until you can't throw anymore. But that role is not in a situation where you're only down two runs in the seventh and you have guys available that are good. I just, it was weird. Yeah. My, my only thought, and I'm obviously not Brian Snitker and I don't know what was discussed before the game, but um, this was the third game in three days. So yep. it would be the third appearance in a row for Luke or Tyler. And while this is the World Series, I, I guess that's probably the one defense that I would uh, point to. It was not a good night for Brian Snitker, who has had a very good postseason. He has pushed a lot of right buttons. But tonight, I agree completely. It's a two-run game. I mean, it's 7-5, as we saw last night, literally 24 hours ago. A two-run lead or a, two runs can swing in a, you know, what, a bloop and a blast, a couple of back-to-back homers. Um, at the very least, I would have gone to Luke in the seventh. Smiley ends up giving a hit to that guy again, Martin Maldonado, uh, to make it 8-5. And just I, not that the lineup did really anything tonight after Freddie's home run in the third, but just psychologically, the difference of a two-run deficit versus a three or eventually a four-run deficit uh, feels like a lot. And it was, uh, it was a, an odd decision. Again, I guess if you want to defend – Snitker, you, you don't necessarily want to burn out Luke or Matzik before game six and or seven, but it yeah. was a, I mean, with good reason, it was a highly questioned move and it, it didn't work out. I'm glad you said that in that way, because something we try to acknowledge on the podcast is that there are things we, that we don't know. And one of those things is pitcher availability, pitcher health, pitcher freshness, whether Tyler Matzik came in today and didn't have his didn't have his arm like that's the kind of stuff we, we, that we'll just never know. Now, Luke and Will Smith did media before the game and were very loose, and it seemed like they were not going to be like unavailable on this night. So that's the one other thing that's kind of weird about this is that you know it's a little bit of a nitpicking thing. But yes, there there is some value to not having pitched those guys tonight. I will say that just as in the interest of fairness. But I think down two is different than down four. If it's nine to five in the seventh. And you want to pitch Drew Smiley? I don't have a problem with that at all. I really don't. But at seven five, and this is honestly, this is comes back full circle. This has been what we've said forever about Snit is that he'll treat a two run deficit like it's a seven run deficit, and that's that's just one of the things that we talked about forever. So it was like such a such a flashing light for me that I just could not believe it was happening in this situation because we talked on it for so long and it happened <laughs> right in front of our eyes. Um, all right, that's enough of that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from there, it doesn't, nothing really matters. You give up a, another run in the seventh, uh, Smiley does. One, two, three inning in the bottom of the seventh, which is what I kind of gave up, to be honest, was when the top of the order went one, two, three in the bottom of the seventh. Um, I don't want to pile on here, but Ozzy Albies has been terrible. And Ozzy's a great player. We are yeah. very pro Ozzy, but he is 0 for 10 in the last three it, games. Is it's it been... worth 
Yeah, is it worth moving him out? Kind of like what Houston did, shake up the order a little it's bit. It's been a talking point a lot. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I I also don't have a problem not hitting him there just in general. Like, Ozzy is a guy who brings value in a lot of different ways. It's not like he is a this great, pure hitter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, where you have yeah. to have him in that spot in the top three. Um, so, no, that wouldn't bother me at all. Anything to get the guys that you are trusting a little bit more and more plate appearances, like... There's a perfect solution, but if you want to get Austin Riley up a, up a spot in the order, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Um, or even Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario's I mean, been dialed, obviously. So yeah, even I if mean, you, me. yeah, even if you swap out Eddie and, and Ozzy three and five, I, I think it's probably worth doing. Um, Ozzy has not been. I mean, even the whole postseason, he has not been great. He is somebody who has been streaky. Uh, he is a very good player, as you said, he, but he is notoriously streaky. And right now he is, I mean, he's had a couple moments. He's gotten on base a little bit, but he has just not been the the old clutch factor. He has not been clutch and he, he's seeming, I mean, he had a bad night tonight. He did not look like, I mean, he wasn't even close on most of his plate appearances tonight. No, he wasn't. And we talked about, I think once earlier tonight, but the, the defense too, it's not a good for Ozzy. I mean, he had a couple of, you know, Freddie bailed him out on a, on a throw that was just terrible. Like a pretty routine play that Freddie had to like really, really stretch and dig on. Um, that shouldn't have been that more that that, that difficult. Like he's just kind of in a funk right now. It seems like, and Dansby's been pretty bad too, um, outside of the homer yesterday. But yeah, just something to circle. I, I won't because you know, not that the lineup has been fantastic overall, but Ozzy, I feel like is standing out in terms of how much he's struggling at the moment. Um, and in general, the offense on this night it's funny when you score four runs in the first inning you feel like it's gonna be an offensive night and they were pretty bad after that so anything else you want to add on this game that was brutal to consume before we move on to uh, looking ahead to game six uh no <laughs> I, have, I have i have i have i have more notes but like why you know uh, what I mean? yeah that was that was bad let it let us put it out of our memory post first inning and go win one of these two games in houston yeah, so speaking of that, uh, now, of course, they have the off day on Monday to travel and rest. And then uh, I think we know that it's going to be Max Freed in Game 6. That's been the plan all along. I, I found it funny that on the on the Fox very brief pregame show between football and baseball, there basically one question they asked to the panel was whether Freed should have gone on, th- on three days rest, as if that was ever on the table. And by the way, it wasn't ever on the table for a team leading 3-1 that famously likes to give Max Freed extra rest, not yeah. less rest. He There's was no... never, ever, ever pitching tonight. Well and, if, well, and if Max was on like a 20-inning scoreless streak, right. then he, maybe. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it has not been the case for Max. And we we hope that, again, he, he was not terrible in game two by any means. He just had that one bad kind of unlucky inning. But, yeah, there was, there was no shot. No, and you mentioned it, but like his numbers – the last two outings, he was good in the first two outings of the playoffs this year, but the last two outings, I, I do think this is probably overstating how bad he was, but the numbers are ugly. Nine and two-thirds innings in the last two starts, 18 base runners, that's almost a two-whip, which is not what you want, and 11 are runs. So his ERA is like north of 10 in the last two outings. I am not panicking about Max Freed. I think if you give me a choice whether to have Max Freed on the mound or anybody else on the Braves roster right now, I choose Max Freed in terms of a starter. Um, but... You know, it's worth noting he's not been his best self. Now he does have an extra day off, so that's good. You get a, uh, you know, you get four days rest. You're back to, you're back to normal. But I don't know, man. We'll see what he has in this game. The Astros do not have a whole lot of options either. Dusty Baker, 
I guess, on the Fox broadcast after the game, um, essentially confirmed, or not quite announced, but said that they were leaning heavily towards Luis Garcia on three days rest. Uh, Garcia has pitched in the series already. He was the game three starter for Houston. Was not great, was not terrible. He did walk four in three and two thirds. and also had six, six strikeouts, so kind of a high volatility guy. Um, so we've seen him. He's a relatively young right-hander. I think he's, yeah, he's 24 years old. So, you know, they were going to probably use Arquiti, uh, at least on paper, but he ended up pitching in this game. Who knows? They have Jaco Dorizzi as a long guy, too. But Houston, again, the Braves, we, 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 for obvious reasons, we focus on the Braves' availability. But Houston is not overflowing with, with pitching options. So if you could be Max, Max Freed versus anybody Houston's got, I'll take Max Freed. Yeah, you're right. Garcia was not particularly sharp in Game 3. The Braves didn't hit him around a ton, but they had some hard contact that was just right at people. I think someone noted uh, Garcia had four outs that were on balls hit harder than 100 miles an hour. Um, again, it's not a perfect science, but generally if you hit the baseball harder than 100 miles an hour, you're going to get a hit, and he was four for four in that regard um, uh, of getting out. So, yeah, if you're, it's funny that all the attention has been put on the Braves running these bullpen games. And while that is true and accurate, uh, the Astros are also basically running bullpen games and we'll see how Dusty Baker handles his staff. They also have Jake Odorizzi, who is probably not in line to start one of these games, but did pitch well in game one. Um, we'll see what they do with uh, just, I mean, as you know, game six and especially game seven, if we get there, everybody is available. Um, so we'll see. I, I think you have to hope that Max Fried finds himself a little bit. He did find a bit of a groove after that unlucky second inning, and no one's making excuses. If you give up five runs in an inning, that's a bad inning, no matter how you gave them up. But you just have to hope that with the extra day of rest and maybe the nerves are off a little bit, uh, again, you have to win one out of these two games in Houston in your World Series champions. It's kind of the same. I don't know how you feel, Brad, but kind of the same vibes after they couldn't close it out against the Dodgers and everyone was like, ah, here we go again. Three oh, yeah. one. It is, and, exa- it is pretty much exactly the same situation. Yeah. And what did they do? But they, and again, to be fair, this was at home instead of on the road. And I'm sure Minute Maid Park will be very loud um, and ready to rock. But as you noted off the top, uh, just kind of weird baseball, but the last seven world series champions have been on the road and you know, not for nothing, but I think you, you just have to take your chance. You have to win one out two. You do it, you're champions. If you don't, it's going to be really, really painful. But let's hope that Max is able to find himself a little bit and deliver an all-time performance and and get that win for the Braves. Yeah, and if we're being objective, Freed versus Garcia, I think anyone, remove the Atlanta, remove the Houston, go, go to a baseball expert in Kansas City or something, they'll tell you Max Freed is the superior option of those two pitchers, plus the Braves are the better bullpen. Um Houston's, Houston's bullpen is not, not terrible by any means, but given the way that the Braves pitching has been in the bullpen, particularly the uh, <laughs> the night shift, um, hmm. it's been pretty solid. So, And even beyond game six, we sort of alluded to it, but right now the projected systems and the betting market all lean toward the Braves' favorites, as they have to be at this point in time. 71% on both by 38 and fan graphs, exactly. So that's not 85-90 like it was before this, but 71% is still a pretty strong ratio in your favor. And 
quite simply, the way that I am looking at this in terms of my brain. Now, my heart and my, you know, all that stuff is, is different. I'm an Atlanta sports fan, so there's, there's some fatalism there, I'm sure. But my brain tells me that essentially I view these games as coin flips in Houston. Uh, you might even convince me that the Braves should be a slight favorite in game six. Now, game seven, I, I, I just, I trust Ian a little bit less than Max, just to be honest with you. Um, but even if you just, just for ease of math's sake, if you just tell me that this is a coin flip two games in a row, the chances of you losing two coin flips in a row are not particularly great. Now, they, they, they exist. You could still lose these games. Um, and Houston's good. I mean, we've talked about, we've given them credit the entire time, but this is a good offense. Um, they finally showed it in this game for the first time, really in you know very brief moment early in the series against Max Free. But other than that, they've been pretty bad offensively in the series, which is kind of kind of yeah. jarring, honestly. Um, but they showed it. They showed what they're capable of in this game. So respect to them. But if you're trying to just be level-headed and uh, objective, I think the Braves are still solid favorites in this spot. Would it have been nice to finish this thing in Atlanta? Certainly. We were ready uh, and, and willing and hope hoping to uh, celebrate on this podcast. But We were instead, very ready. Instead, yeah. we do the same thing that we did last time and basically say, almost repeat what we said after game four, um, sorry, after game five of the Dodgers series, almost to a T. So here we are. Yeah. Nobody said it was going to be easy. And I promise you, Brad and I, and I think if the Braves would have won tonight, Eric as well, this would have been a, a much different podcast. And God, man, let's hope they can, let's hope they can close it out in Houston. I'm, I agree with you completely. I would much rather be up 3 2 than the opposite um and you know this team's credit they have found ways to battle back every single time they had that very difficult game one loss to the brewers in the nlds and what they do but they came back and won three in a row they had that crushing loss in los angeles everyone thought oh here we go same old braves they're gonna collapse they're gonna they're gonna lose it and they battled back and they ended that and then hey they're up despite losing charlie morton in game one they're up three two they won two out of three at home. They split in Houston the first time around. So it's not like Minute Maid Park is just this house of horrors where they cannot win. Uh, you just hope that as sweet as it would have been to celebrate in the uh, truest park fountains tonight, uh, you have to go to Houston win one out of two. And I think the, the rotation is set up as well as it possibly can without Charlie Morton. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stress and a lot of drama. But, hey, man, if, if you can win one, uh, that's all you need. On the bright side, uh, the the night shift will be very rested. Other than other than AJ Minter, uh, it better be. Else is, yeah, has two days rest here, which is uh, yeah. Encouraging. After tonight, it better be pristine moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a little bit of a callback there, but listen, uh, we'll see. But I do have I do have some faith in the in, in the ship being righted here. Um, even managerially, I think that's, that's done a good job in the playoffs. Not tonight was not, was not our favorite night of his, but it also wasn't he's wasn't always when I lost this game. They had some they had some player issues and all that stuff too. So full circle, that will do it for the podcast tonight. Scott, people can find you where because we might have some new listeners. I can't imagine anyone jumping off the first time tonight, honestly, after a loss, but it's possible. So where can they find you? It is, yeah. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. I'm at Scott Coleman fifty five on Twitter, and be sure to check out talkingchop.com. Just a ton of content. Off days are always kind of a buzzkill just because we're just so tuned into games every single night. But there'll be plenty of good content. We'll see what shakes out over the next 48 hours. And hopefully the next time we get together, Brad, we have one to celebrate. That would be nice. Um, For everybody else listening, please subscribe to this podcast. 
It helps us greatly if you download current episodes and also old episodes. Uh, any kind of click around that you can do on whichever podcast platform, we're not above asking for that and pleading for that to support the podcast, but also five-star reviews and ratings and subscriptions. And obviously check out the site as well. You can follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the site on Twitter and on uh, all platforms, honestly, at Talking Chop. And yes, thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll see you after game six. But also in between there, I think we'll have a podcast from our friend Sean Coleman on the Daily Hammer on Tuesday morning. So if you uh, have any doubts at all, subscribe and you'll just have it arrive right in your inbox when it drops. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.